0: the intersection of true crime and real estate, you'll find Crime Estate. I'm Heather. And my name is Elena. As real estate agents and true crime junkies, we view crimes through a different lens. So walk through the door of some of the most notorious true crimes with us and discover
1: how sometimes the scene of the crime has its own story to tell.
0: Hey, we're back. Another crime estate podcast. I know, you
1: know, this is becoming the highlight of my week. It Thank really you, ladies, is. so much. I hope our listeners out there are enjoying this as much as we're enjoying putting it together for everybody. I hope so
0: too. I hope so too. What's going on? What's in the headlines, Melanie?
1: Our producer, Melanie.
0: You didn't
2: warn me you were going to ask oh, me that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, I would have done a much better job of looking things up and having something uh, good to say. But no, I'm just a been uh, in the work slash parent volunteering mode oh, yeah. right now. Your yeah. son's in a big musical. Uh, yeah. So uh, Frozen, you can tell Ooh. he's real excited about Don't Disney. Don't
0: 14-year-old boys love Frozen? Oh,
2: oh, they love it. <laughs> Although I will say he's actually really having Aww. a great time. And um, it. I, I saw parts of it last night when I was volunteering and it was very well done. They're, they're doing a very good job Um but yeah, so that's kind of my life. But, you know, what about you guys? I mean, I know you are PTA moms, Uber extraordinaire. Um, but what else have you been going on in your actually, like,
1: you know, work or personal lives? Work's been really busy. I mean, spring in real estate is always a little bit crazy. And, uh, you know, despite the news out there that interest rates are keeping people from buying homes, I don't think that's what we're seeing. No, and there aren't enough homes to buy, so you got to jump on it and... Go show it quickly and get that offer written in about 20 minutes and,
0: and move sell fast. Your house. Sell your house. Yeah. Do it now. Now.
1: Yeah. I mean, we really do need people to sell their houses. It's a great time,
0: especially if you have a pool. Like everything I've shown
1: lately has had a pool and every buyer that walks in, it's like, oh man, that pool's going to be nice in about two or three yeah. weeks. I'm like, yeah, you have time to buy it before, before the summer heats up. I was just going to say,
2: because I, I'm on one of your... um distribution, or either it was one of your emails or maybe it was something you put on Facebook, but, oh yeah, Facebook about like buy, uh, sell your house with a pool right now. And I was just like, oh, a pool would be really nice mm-hmm. right now. But, mm-hmm. I mean, To our listeners, it isn't warm enough yet to go swimming, but it's beautiful and sunny. And um, in Texas, we basically have a few weeks of spring and then it'll be mm-hmm. summer. So we're all thinking ahead towards bathing suit weather.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um you want to dive in? Yeah, okay. let's do it. We're in New Orleans today. Oh, I love New Orleans. I had a, a like a list of places in New Orleans or stories in New Orleans that were interesting to me. And then after your podcast last week, so the name again. What's the name? Oh, the DuPont Pont de Lyon. Yes, that one. I was inspired to do the New Orleans episode. So um I've always loved New Orleans. We I like the history and the city, the the people, the traditions, the food. <laughs> I mean the food's amazing. Yes, yes, and of course the architecture and homes. But what's the first thing y'all think about when you think about New Orleans? Well, we had the the
1: benefit of my husband worked there for a oh, little right. bit, and so we were traveling maybe I don't know once a quarter to New Orleans, and that was such a like fun, happy time for us. Um, I love Commander's Palace. That's Oh, the you thing. were telling us about that. The brunch. Yeah, the brunch at Commander's Palace is like, it should be on everybody's bucket list. It is nice. so incredible. And of course, the French Quarter. I mean, you can't go to New Orleans and not just love the French Quarter.
2: Yeah. I, I think of the food, um, definitely. Lots of great restaurants that I love. I think of jazz and the music scene. The Garden District um, is beautiful. Um I think a bachelor and bachelorette parties too. <laughs> the last couple of times that we were there um, with our kids, we're like, okay, there's a lot of bachelor parties in the uh, um, in the French Quarter, but there's so much more than more than that. And I like how you can just go a few blocks off Bourbon Street and be much more kind of mm-hmm. um, local history mm-hmm. um, and get away from the craziness. Right. Have
1: you all ever been to Mardi Gras?
2: No. I have not been to Mardi Gras. My parents, weirdly enough, have oh. been several times. and But they stay more in the Garden District, and they know people who work some of the floats. And, I mean, they come back with these crazy st- uh, beads and stories. Mm. I, I have been to New Orleans Jazz Fest, and I've been to uh, New Year's Eve there, which is— Ooh, I bet that's bad. I've been—wait, yes. what New Year's Eve? Because I was there New Year's Eve. Oh, you might have been a baby. Uh, I, I was there for the Sugar Bowl one year when— uh, UT lost to Virginia Tech. Don't look that up, people. That was
0: a long <laughs> time ago. <laughs> okay, so the French Quarter is actually where our story takes place today. I was going to give you a little backstory on this part of New Orleans. It's commonly referred to as the Vu Carré. Carré. I, that I right? think that's right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't take six years of French, so... Yeah, I did, and I may I may still butcher it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, with these. Okay, so that means Old Square in French. It's located on the banks of the Mississippi and was established by the French in 1718. And the site was selected due to it being relatively high land in the low lying swampland. I found these extra tidbits I thought were super interesting. It's been a continuous residential neighborhood since 1718, and the original buildings in the French Quarter were made of wood thought those Mm -hmm. are interesting tidbits. The homes that you will most likely find in this part of New Orleans are Creole cottages that are single-story homes with steeply pitched roofs and front porches that touch the street or Creole townhomes that often have shops at the bottom and homes on the top and are recognized by their brick or stucco exterior and arched windows. I can totally picture that. I also think about
2: um, some of the balconies. Oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if the balconies were original or an add-on later, but, you, you know, the kind of wrought iron balconies on, on the second story of a lot of the buildings.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. So now that you have a visual of that part of New Orleans in the French Quarter, I want to tell you about our villain, Madame Marie Delphine McCarty LaLaurie, more commonly known as Madame Blanc, or after her third marriage as Madame LaLaurie. She was born into French Creole High Society in 1780 to an Irish father and a French mother. She was said to be charming, well-mannered, and beautiful. I saw pictures of her. She was, she was not all that, but... Well, she was said to be beautiful for that time period. I mean, I would say 1780, maybe our, <laughs> right. our
1: perspective has changed, changed a, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she was married three times and widowed twice. She was a mom to six children between her three husbands and just happened to become one of the nation's most notorious female serial killers. God bless her. Six children and three husbands. I mean, I don't know her
1: story yet, but. Yeah, she was a serial killer. Yeah. I, I I'm not saying all women with six children should be serial killers. I'm just saying that's a lot.
2: I like that's what Heather kind of stopped at. I know you We're know the serial when, killer when, part? When, you have know, six children, and three husbands. Like she totally went
0: over the uh, serial killer. <laughs>
1: I mean, there's a reason I have one kid. Right.
0: (laughs) We're never bringing our children here again. (laughs) Okay, so Delphine was born in New Orleans to a family that was prominent in the European Creole community. New Orleans at this time, at the time of her birth, was actually a Spanish territory. Louisiana became a Spanish colony in the 1760s after France was defeated in the Seven Years' War. Thank you, Melanie. She's putting all these historic facts in the story. I appreciate that. You're you're doing the legwork. She was first married at age 13 to a high-ranking Spanish royal officer, but he died within a few years. She was married a few years later at the age of 21 to a prominent local lawyer and banker. The family split their time between their plantation and a two-story townhouse at 409 Royal Street in New Orleans. It was at this house on Royal Street that Delphine began to carve out a reputation as a society hostess, but eight years later, she was again widowed. In 1825, at the age of 38, she married for the third time. This time, she married a doctor, Leonard Louis Nicholas LaLaurie, who was 15 years her junior and newly arrived from France. Wow. Let, let, let's, um,
2: how would you have pronounced that name, Heather? On the spot. Um,
1: Leonard, I think Louise. Oh, is it Louise? Louise? Okay, I was thinking Louis. Oh. oh, it could be Louis. L-O-U-I-S. Yeah, that's probably Louis. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) Let's give it a little Texas twang, though. Let's call him Lewis. Lewis. I like like it. I always like the name Lewis. That's really interesting that she married a younger man. Yeah. Especially
0: what we're talking about, 1825 or something? Right. Yeah. That's unusual now, I feel like. 15 years difference, and the man is younger, but I guess especially then. He would have been 23, and she was 38. Scandalous. I'm already a doctor? I don't know. He's well. That's true. He, he, you're right. He was a doctor, and she actually met him when she engaged him to look at one of her daughters who apparently had a spinal deformity. Oh, so he made a house they call and yeah. they fell in love. And yeah, okay. stayed. Okay. So now, eleven forty Royal Street was located in the French Quarter and was and still is prime New Orleans real estate. Madame Lalaurie purchased the land in 1831 for thirty three thousand dollars. One year later, she had a large two-story home with attached slave quarters built. At the time, the mansion was one of the tallest structures in the French Quarter. And the outside of the home, elegant and classy, definitely hid the dark secrets that were held within the home. Were you going to say something?
1: Well, I was just trying to do the math on $33,000. And that's just for the land. That's just for the land, right? In 1831. Yes. Okay. I feel like that was expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we should have done the math
2: to, to figure it out but i feel like that is very expensive at that time and um but i mean i looked on the map and this is literally in the heart of the french quarter so i mean it yeah i mean i've definitely walked up and down royal street yeah. before mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. and this was just if you look did the address i think this was only like two blocks away from her other house okay
0: hmm. so she lived there with Two of her six children and her husband, Dr. Louis Lalari, and Delphine and Louis were the bells of New Orleans society hosting frequent balls.
1: I do feel like this is sort of a trend we're seeing as these like high society ladies that end up being attached to a crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
2: I, the similarities don't die here.
0: Oh, right. okay. Oh, I think that was good. I don't know the story. Please continue. (laughs) Almost immediately after their marriage, rumors started to go around in New Orleans. A local business manager wrote to his employer in 1828 how the authorities had descended on the Lilari's home and found ill-treated slaves, quote, still all bloody. That same month, he reported how Dr. and Madame Lilari did not, quote, have a happy household. They often fight, often separate, and then return to each other. So concerned were the authorities that they sent a young, Creole law student to remind the lady of the letter of the law regarding the treatment of her slaves.
1: Okay, that's that's really interesting. So you know there were laws about how slaveholders could treat their
0: slaves. Apparently, so in Louisiana they operated under the Code Noir, a complex system of laws that regulated slavery in the French colonial empire. I didn't know that was a thing, but the Code Noir stated that slaves would be instructed in the Catholic faith, given food and clothing allowances, and allowed to rest on Sundays, and the right to petition a public prosecutor if they were mistreated. While it outlawed the worst punishments owners can inflict upon their slaves, don't make a mistake, they're still enslaved people who were subject to harsh treatment at the hands of their owners. Okay, so keep all of those those things I just said in mind, because we'll come back to that and kind of how this all unfolds. So, Madame LaLaurie's secret life really started to unravel when around 1833... Leah, who was an eight or 12, depending on the source, year old slave, caught a tangle in Lalari's hair as she brushed it. LaLari is said to have become so enraged that she grabbed a whip. This terrified Leah and she ran to the second floor through the attic onto the roof. There's some confusion as to whether Leah jumped, stumbled, or whether Lalari pushed her. What we know for sure is that Leah was on the roof one moment and dead the next. After an investigation, Lalari was required to forfeit the slaves when she was found guilty of illegal cruelty.
1: Okay, illegal cruelty. Like, yeah. There's a thing as, yeah. such a thing as legal cruelty? I guess we can, so. Okay. Yeah.
2: So I guess with slaves, you can be cruel. You just can't be illegally cruel. <laughs> I guess so.
0: It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So that sounds like it, that should be the end of the story. Like, the, we could end the podcast there. Like, she was she was cruel. She, she was a cruel woman who at the very least owned and beat at least one of her slaves. She also beat her daughters when they tried to feed the slaves. I mean, we could end the podcast right there, but... That's so not the end of the story. It gets it gets a lot worse. She convinced family members to buy her slaves so she could buy them back, which is conniving and cruel. And she had them return them to her at night. So no one knew what she was doing. Okay. So she wasn't allowed. She had to sell them. She wasn't allowed to
1: purchase correct. them under this rule this, system they correct. had. But she was like, hey, mom, will you buy this guy and just bring him back here in the dark of night and then nobody will know. Right. Oh my gosh. I know.
0: Okay. I know. And like you said Heather earlier, many of the rich families that we have on this podcast, the Lolaris were protected by their position in society. Not only were her family amongst the founding elite of New Orleans, but their power in the community was maintained as Louisiana passed into US ownership. Yeah, we do see that a lot. Yeah.
1: You know, where the vict- or, you know, the families are just not treated as suspects or people look the other way because of mm-hmm. the amount of power they have. Right.
0: Right. So here we are the morning of April 10th, 1884, and it seems as though one of the slaves decided that she could no longer endure the torture of life at 1140 Royal Street. La LaLaurie had her 70-year-old cook chained to the stove by her ankles. The cook was made to make intricate meals for her and her guests, and in an act of despair, the slave started a fire in hopes of taking her own life. I want to stop right there for a second and say I really hate referring to all of these people as slaves, but there's no documentation of their names anywhere. So I just wanted to, I don't, I don't like saying that, but it is, you know, couldn't find their names anywhere. So anyway, as LaLaurie struggled to save her furniture and belongings, the fire and smoke raged on, but the slave that was chained to the stove was spared. So fire's going, she's trying to save her furniture, not caring about the slave, at the the very least that we know now, the slave that's chained to the stove, who started the fire in an attempt to she don't want to live her life anymore with this with this woman. When the flame subsided enough and the cook was able to be questioned, she was told the authorities that when La Laurie took the slaves to the upper floors of the homes, they never came back down. Oh. At this point, people had gathered and were helping to extinguish the fire, and they had requested the key to the locked slave quarters, but Delphine La Laurie and her husband refused. Okay, this
1: all sounds terrible. It's awful. So this
0: woman literally didn't want to live. So she
1: started a fire in the kitchen where she knew she couldn't get out. Like she thought it would kill her. Exactly. But somehow she was spared and started telling the authorities all right, this. Right, Okay. I'm, I'm with you now.
0: Oh, yes, yes. So bystanders, you know, had already been denied the key to open the locked quarters. They ended up breaking the door down. And what they found was awful. They found seven slaves, all savagely beaten and mutilated and eyes gouged, some suspended and chained by their necks, others chained so that they were on all fours. They wore iron collars that had spikes so that their heads would stay in one position. There was also a ladder near the slaves, presumably kept there so she could climb and beat them with more force. There are a lot more details but they're really graphic and really gory that I won't go into right now. But in addition to the slaves that were found tortured, there were several deceased as well. The actual numbers and verified reports have been lost or embellished over time. Wow. Yeah. So news of what happened and what was seen by witnesses traveled quickly. Soon mobs of people were getting increasingly angry at the fact authorities had not come to haul Delphine away. This is where that code noir comes Mm -hmm. back into play. So they became enraged when they discovered that Delphine had escaped. They took matters into their own hands and the days after the discovery essentially gutted the home. They tore up furniture, shattered plates, destroyed art, shredded feathered bedding, dismantled balconies, shattered windows. Essentially, they raged and ravaged the whole property. The slaves were taken to the city jail where they were put on display. According to a newspaper article in the New Orleans Bee that by April 12th, 4,000 people had walked to the jail to lay eyes on the slaves to, quote, convince themselves of their sufferings. So do you
1: think that people just weren't able to believe that this had actually happened without seeing it with their own eyes? Like they thought it was maybe a tall tale or just because, I mean, she did have this incredible social stature and standing in the community. I don't know why else you would have that many people walk through.
0: Yeah. Why would you want to see that? I I guess it's unimaginable.
1: Well, remember back then,
2: there—you know—this is almost like a form of entertainment for some people. You know, they didn't have a TV, they didn't have other forms. um, You know, photography. um, There wasn't a lot of going on, and so I think you know just the reason why people would go to hangings. Mm. I mean, I think there's a a morbid
0: curiosity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Delphine was able to escape, first traveling by river to Mobile, Alabama, then was able to make her way to Paris, France. Before making it to Paris, though, she and her husband stayed in Mandeville long enough to sign a power of attorney to her two adult sons who still lived in New Orleans. She made no attempts to emancipate her slaves, including her coachman, who helped her escape. Back in New Orleans, her son began to deal with the house and the slaves. They sold the mansion for $14,000, less than half of the original price of the land, Then they sold 11 of the 30 slaves. Now that leaves 19 known missing slaves. Apparently, I didn't know this was apparently unusual to have unaccounted for slaves because they were kept as property. They kept meticulous records for them. So it's believed that those 19 were either killed before or during the fire or rendered so useless due to the toll of torture and abuse that they were unsellable. It is said that she lived in Paris under an assumed name until her death on December 7th, 1849. 1849. Her remains were exhumed and returned to New Orleans in 1851 and interred in the St. Louis Cemetery. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, because it was so long ago, you can
1: sort of escape to the other side of the world and live quietly. hmm
2: I mean, she had a lot of money, both from her inheritances and her husband's, And so I think I read that she was able to, you know— Go on decently because of that. And remember her husband or this latest young man was from France. So I think he also had family um, still in France. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but it's, it kind of just shows, I mean, it was so severe. That it has gone on in history, that we Mm -hmm. know about it today, and it's still being talked about. And I looked, and there were, like, articles, lots of articles at that time written about her and written about what happened. And, I mean, you're right, embellished is probably true. You know, some of this has probably gotten bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and the story Mm -hmm. retelling over the years. But there had to be, like, a nugget of truth in the—
1: that it's been repeated on and on. Right. I think from a real estate perspective, it's really interesting that even in what the 1800s, a place where a crime occurred, the value immediately went down by that significant amount. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I I don't remember if I saw how much time had lapsed between him selling it. I read later on. So when the mob ransacked the house, it remained
2: like in a ruined state for like Mm -hmm. four years. Um, what? Like, yeah. I mean, maybe it was just so notorious. I'm not sure. But I mean, this is like, if, if, for, you know, listeners who've been to New Orleans, this is right in the heart of the French mm-hmm. Quarter. Uh, the cathedral um, is only a few blocks away. I mean, nowadays, I think, um, you know, uh, you can get jazz right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Um, oh, gosh. Dumont. Cafe Du Monde. Oh my gosh, why couldn't I think of that? I've been there
0: a million times. Café du
2: Monde is a couple blocks away, but yeah. So
0: it's important to note that the story of the Lolaris is not unique. It has lived on in its infamy and become notorious, but slave treatment, even under Code Noir, was horrific. The story of the location doesn't quite end there. The mansion was burned by the mob in 1834 and remained in a ruined state for at least another four years. It was then rebuilt by Pierre Trastor, after 1838 in the Empire style and assumed the appearance it has today. At three stories high, it was described in 1928 as, quote, the highest building for squares around. Since the discovery and the mob, it has changed hands and purposes. It's been an all-girls school, a homeless shelter, a music conservatory, and partitioned into apartments. Notably, it was once owned by Nicolas Cage, who bought the home in 2006 for $3.4 million. Nicolas Cage said, quote, I bought it figuring it would be a good place to write the great American horror novel. And he sold Vanity Fair that in 2014. And he said, quote, I didn't get that far with the novel. He lost the home in 2009 due to foreclosure. And naturally or unnaturally, the the home is said to be haunted. There have been reports of shrieks and ghostly moans, the smell of burning flesh, and the sounds of chains dragging on the floor. There have also been sightings of actual ghosts, including a man in chains and a woman with glaring eyes. More recently, La Laurie was played by Kathy Bates in American horror story Coven. Oh. I haven't seen that. Have you? No. I really want to see those. They look very, very scary though.
2: See, I think you'd like them because you do ha- you, you do like a little bit of the morbid, a little I bit do. of the horror. Yeah. I mean, they're they're very well acted.
0: Okay. I need to say L- Lady Gaga was in one, right? I think so. Yeah, I want to see those. I think so.
2: My my sister's roommate. Boyfriend, I think, has been in a lot of them
0: after. Yeah. <laughs> Me. Get, yeah. Do y'all believe in ghosts? I don't think we've ever talked about this.
1: So I want to say no. But my dad swears he grew up in a haunted house. And my dad <laughs> of is Of course quite, he does. I know, uh, Melanie's saying this because she's met my dad, who is quite the prankster. But his sisters, who are not quite the pranksters, like back him up on mm. it and say for sure that. You know, weird things would happen, and the house was built on the ground where a family had a family's home had burned down, and they had all died. And then his family went, bought the land, and built a house on that land. And he said, you know, it's never malicious, but things like the garage door would open, or you would hear the piano playing downstairs, and nobody would be downstairs, or you know, the radio volume would turn up. So That's I don't things know. Things. I'm I'm going to believe that there are things I don't understand or know about. Yeah, how's that? Yeah. You know, I I think it's
2: overblown. I think there's a lot more um, made of the supernatural from those perspectives. But I definitely sort of believe in the unknown, and and there's other things out there. I don't know. Maybe I like to believe in the idea of ghosts.
0: Yeah. What, I, the, what about I, I you? Hundred percent believe. Okay. Ghosts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she didn't
1: equivocate no. at all. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you oh, just it. saw her eyes. She was like, "Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah." Um, (laughs) so it seems today the mansion has Texas ties. A Texas energy trader purchased the home and has made it clear that he does not want to allow tours or answer any questions about the residence. Before he moved into the home, he had the home remodeled and redesigned. He also had a priest from the Notre Dame seminary bless the home. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. It really is. That's well thought out. If you're going to do this, let's get everybody in there to make it all refresh (laughs) and a priest to Put the holy water on it and I think that was smart. Have you ever had a client like have their home blessed
1: or what's the other thing they do with the
0: Oh, the sage?
1: The saging. I've mm-hmm. not
0: that I know of had a client do that, but I have buried Saint Joseph in the yard upside down.
2: I was just gonna to ask if you've
0: if you've done and it that. works. And I know 100%. I I did that
2: years ago. A friend gave me a St. Joseph statue, and it cracked me up because it was a glow-in-the-dark oh. St. <laughs> <Saint> Joseph statue. And <laughs> so we buried it upside down in the front yard. I mean, it might have sold anyway. It, nowadays, I'm like, I wish it hadn't sold because it was over—well, <laughs> it, it was over there um, off Lower Greenville. Um, mm-hmm. it, and yeah, it— Easily is like four times, you know, worth yeah. what I sold it for. Well, don't blame St. Joseph for that. No, no, okay. no, no. It sold <laughs> it really fall. quickly, but now nowadays I wish I hadn't sold it.
0: <laughs> so he's not burying St. Joseph. I think he's very happy there. And he, while he doesn't allow for inside tours, every evening the sidewalks outside are crowded with tour groups, parading past the home and other haunted sites within the French Quarter.
1: Ooh, it's like one of those ghost tours. Oh, oh absolutely you know New
2: Orleans has so many uh, ghost tours I think last time I was in New Orleans we were uh, at sunset and we were walking around the different uh, you know with my kids in the French Quarter, uh, kind of avoiding the drunks and but and but we did stop by a few of the uh, ghost tours and kind of did that lean in where you listen a little <laughs> bit to hear kind of what they're yeah. talking about but yeah I, I absolutely can picture you know, these g- ghost tours going outside. I'm sure it's probably a highlight of them. And, you know, while they don't go into the house, they stand outside of it and they probably tell the story
0: mm-hmm.
1: probably even more embellished than we are.
0: I want to go, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, I think
1: that would bother me. I mean, assuming you're okay living in this house, I would be annoyed that there were people outside every day. I mean, this, if you're in the French Quarter, New yeah. Orleans. I mean. <laughs> you're going to have people anyway. But, so that's true. Yeah.
0: I, I want to go on a ghost tour, but I'm afraid of attachments too. I don't want anything to come home with me. Oh, you're, you're real double into it. This. We're going to have to like explore this I little further. I also don't like buying things secondhand because I'm afraid there's something attached to it.
1: You and just you never know. You never know. I think we need to give her a margarita and see what else she says. <laughs> I, I uh, can honestly say I have never
2: once thought about that. <laughs>
1: Attachment. Yeah. So I did think like when we bought our first house, the couple that we bought it from was getting a divorce. Oh. And I was worried that just the house was like an unhappy place. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. Like that's not quite an attachment, but just like. I was like, vibe. Yeah. But then I was like, but we've got like a really cute little kid. Like we'll bring him in, breathe
0: some new life Mm -hmm, into it. mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm real vibey though. Like I can feel, I feel like I can feel people's energy. And you both know there's some people that just drive me crazy. They've never even <laughs> said anything to me necessarily, but just something about them like mm mm. Mm-mm. I don't like it.
1: Yeah. So I know you all don't want to get on Alana's website. <laughs> she really isn't as judgmental as she appears. I'm really
0: not. I'm really not. I'm just vibe. I just can't help it. I just pick up stuff. Okay.
1: Well, so Melanie and I will go on the ghost tour and you can stay back and no, have a, a cocktail for
2: us. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I uh I remember um I went to did my bachelorette party in New Orleans. And I do remember doing tarot cards with my friends Mm. right there, kind of over by Cafe du Monde in the uh, cathedral. That's sort of what I'm picturing right there. But yeah, I think you don't buy in the French Quarter without expecting it to be people outside. But I mean, this is a big mansion. I I bet I'm only assuming that the actual real living areas are kind of far removed from the front door and there's probably a big gate in front of it.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, there's pictures of the remodeled house, and it's really beautiful. She's, she put out, like, a lot of white uh, lights and white paint and, and pictures of angels everywhere. Like, she really tried really hard to— She? The designer. Oh, Sorry. okay. Yeah. Sorry, the designer. There's a big article on her um, online in one of the publications from New Orleans. and
1: Can we link to it? Yes. Perfect. Yeah. All of a sudden, I was thinking, wow, I'm so sexist. I just assumed a Texas energy trader was a man because you said she. And you're like, oh, the designer. I was like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I also read that as much as he
2: doesn't want tours, occasionally he'll rent out the house to people like The Conjuring. I guess that's another horror show Uh that they were having some of the people do either some filming or something inside of it. So, okay.
1: Would, yeah. Okay, so not to step on your toes, no, but it. would you live there? No. I mean, I think I would because it's basically a,
2: an entirely new house and it's been an entirely new house since, what, the 1830s or something, 1840s uh, there, because it was mostly burned down and then rebuilt after that. I mean, it's, we're talking about 150 plus years of a new home that's on that property. Um so I'm I'd be inclined to say yes.
1: I'm a I'm a no on living there. I would list it, of mm-hmm, course, mm-hmm. but oh, um everything. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think I could live. I think because it's the number of crimes that occurred, like it wasn't just yeah, one, yeah. it felt like a lot mm-hmm. and we don't even know the extent of it. So then how do you make your peace with th- with the unknown?
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably It's probably not the home for any of us, you know, it's being a super family-friendly place to live with, you know, young family, you know, kids, you know, in the middle of the French Quarter. is probably not our target demographic at the same time, but maybe owning it and renting it out for, like, functions Mm -hmm, or parties, mm -hmm. I'd I'd have to see it. But I could imagine it being a place that you could rent out for films or movies or balls. Yeah. That'd be or great. Or make it into a hotel.
0: That'd be great. Yeah. All right. Yay. Thanks. That was that was not a fun story to tell, but it was interesting. No, but I love
1: that like you painted the picture of New Orleans so well for us. It does make me. My, my husband actually made beignets last weekend. Seriously? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I've been craving a café de Mont beignet. So. Oh, that's that's my. Cool. Yeah, he's pretty good in the kitchen. I, I'm impressed. I am very yeah. impressed. All right, so uh, we're going to let everybody be surprised about our episode oh. for next week. I'm going to be surprised too because I'm not sure what we're doing yet, <laughs> um, but it'll be fabulous. And we hope you guys will tune in and keep listening.
0: Hey, Thank you. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening and being a part of our Crime Estate family. If you're curious about today's feature, Crime Estate, you could
1: find additional photos and details from today's episode online at crimestatepodcast.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram by following at Crime Estate Podcast.
0: Have a crime estate we should cover? Shoot us an email at crimeestatepodcast at gmail.com. Until next week.